This is Trinity Western University's Chapel Podcast, where our daily chapel gatherings are captured and shared for the TWU community. Whatever your day looks like today, we're glad you're tuning in. Thank you. So great to have you all here. Uh, This kicks off what for us is Missions Week. And there you go. Shout out to Missions Week. And the the emphasis we have for this year is really just the reality that we all are called to be missionaries in our culture, in our circles of influence, in in this world. And so uh, while there's vocational missionary work for sure, which is important, uh, we all have an incarnational missional assignment from God to reach people uh, on the margins and and people that we know and, and don't know. Uh, Our preacher that we'll have for the next two days is Professor Quoniquia Day. She is an instructor in Old Testament and Biblical Hebrew at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary over in Massachusetts, Boston area. And she has a number of degrees, like it would take me a while to name all of them, okay? Um, but she's, she's very talented, uh, very uh, great, great background. The, the most important thing I think she would agree about Quaniquia is that she is a child of God and that she has a, a dogged determination to be who God's called her to be and go where God's called her to go. So would you join your hands with me in welcoming Professor Quaniquia Day? Amen. Thank you for that welcome. Can you hear me clearly? Amen. Amen. So good to be with you here at Trinity Western University and Chapel. I'm glad you invited me. I hope that I say something that will encourage you and remind you of who you are in God and how to continue to walk in the ways that will make God proud. Because I think we try to make our parents proud, try to make our friends proud, But hopefully during this missions week, we can hear something that makes the Lord proud. Amen? So stand with me as I read the scripture. The title of my sermon is, This Time, Don't Bow. If you could just stand, I'm just going to read a little bit of the scripture. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. And he set up at the the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So I'm going to skip some parts, but he's going to call all these people together. And the herald is going to come up in verse 4, and this is what the herald's going to say. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every tongue, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that Kim Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. And we'll stop there. Father, I pray that you would bless this word that we're about to hear. Let it really be a blessing not only to the students, but myself as well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as I said a moment ago, the title of the sermon is This Time, Don't Bow. If we all admit in our life, and we really be honest, there have been many times we've bowed down to many things. There's many times when we've compromised, many times when we should have spoken up and we didn't speak up. I remember being a medical social worker, seeing something that was quite unethical and having an opportunity as someone who's also saved to say something, and I watched the entire matter and said nothing. We will all be confronted with situations where we have to think, will I stand for what God is saying or will I bow to what's going on? 
And in this text of the story, we have three Hebrew boys who find themselves in a situation where they're facing adversity for trusting God. If you never face adversity for trusting God, I would question if you really trust God. Because if you trust God long enough, you're going to face adversity. So these Hebrew boys are in exile. They are not, well, we don't know much about them. We know that they're in exile because the Israelites have been following idols. We know that they go in the exile early, probably 605 B.C., for a long time. And they have been living in a place of privilege. They come from a palace. They come from elite folks. And all of a sudden, their life changes dramatically. All of a sudden, they're not in a palace enjoying all the fruits and wonderful things that they can enjoy or having all the servants wait on them. But all of a sudden, now they are slaves. And one day, their life changes. And so they're confronted with this situation of, will we now, in this strange land, bow to God? Now, I always tell my students when I teach this, that, you know, after going into exile because of following false gods, they probably say, we have nothing to lose. We're already in exile. Why are we going to follow a false god here? It would make sense. Well, they still have to confront some realities that if they do not follow this false image, that they're going to die. And I would say one of the sort of first things, not to, this is not one of my points, but I want to interject it here. Anytime you go on a mission for what Christ wants you to do, there will be some sacrifice. And if you're concerned about your welfare, if you're concerned about the hairs on your head, the clothes on your back, you're already going to be behind the eight ball because you have to have complete trust in God that where he's sending you, he will take care of you. Even if you're in exile, the good thing about God is he goes with his people into exile. How does he do it? By sending prophets. So that's just extra. That's not even in the notes. So when I look at this text, I think to myself, what can we all learn from these three Hebrew boys? We know the story, most of us who grew up in church or went to Sunday school, we know how it happened. They go through the fiery furnace, you know, Jesus comes in and they walk around. We know how the story concludes. It's a good, feel-good story, but how does that apply to my life? Well, I think there's about four things we can learn from this story, which is an actual truth. I don't believe the text is a story about events that someone made up. I believe the text is really the word of God for the people of God. I don't believe it's uh, 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 something that we look back with memory. So I really believe this text. So what are some of the things we can learn? Well, I think the first thing we want to look at from these Hebrew boys in their situation is be careful to observe the signs. So you say, what do you mean by that, Professor Day? Well, this image that goes up it's about 90 feet tall, they think, nine feet wide. The image has been in the land for a while. It didn't go up overnight. Do you ever have a building project? They're doing a building. Does the building go up overnight? No, you can see the people working. You can see the people laboring. You can see the construction workers. Everybody knows that something is going on. So that this image that goes up, people see it. People recognize it. It's not a surprise to the Hebrew boys. It's not a surprise to them that eventually when this whole structure is done, that people are going to have a dedication. There'll be some ceremony. We're excited. We got an image. So when this all happens, the Hebrew boys will be confronted with this situation. And the reason why I say observe the signs is 
Because if you can see the sign, you can begin to anticipate how to respond. When you came onto campus, you saw signs that told you where to go. If there was not a map, you wouldn't know how to get to the cafeteria. You wouldn't know how to get to the dorm room. As a matter of fact, if you can't interpret the signs, you can get in a whole lot of trouble. If you don't know the signs for the women's room or for the men's room, you might end up somewhere wrong. Thank God they have the pictures still. And so signs are important. And the problem is that sometimes we're just not observing the signs in our life. We're asking God for revelation. We're asking God for direction. We're asking God, how do I do what you're calling me to do? But we're not observing the signs that he's putting in our life. The signs that are right next door to us. What is God showing you about your community? You're trying to figure out, how do I, what do I do, Lord? What, where are you calling me? What, where do you want me to go? What are the signs in the community? What do you see? You say, well, I don't see where I can fit in. Well, you see child sex trafficking. You see prostitution. You see homelessness. You can visually see them, but sometimes we don't see them. We act like we're not seeing the signs that are going on. So when we have traumatic things happen in the world, we sometimes are surprised because we're not observing the signs. The image has been there all the time. I know I'm preaching. I know I'm preaching. I preach right to myself. You don't even have to clap. <laughs> but there are signs. There are warning signs. It's like being in a relationship, right? All of a sudden you break up and somebody said, well, didn't you see the signs? Spiritually, don't you see the signs? So the Hebrew boys, they have to see the signs. The scripture says in Luke 21, verses 25 to 28, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Down to verse 28, when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. The signs of the times in this world is that the world is unpredictable. Kobe Bryant died yesterday. We never saw that one coming. Lots of other, three other teenage girls died. We didn't see that coming. The world is unpredictable. How will you fit in? Where does God want, what does God want you to do? See the images that are laying in your neighborhood and get prepared for how you will handle them. We don't even know if we will have a tomorrow. So we have to learn to observe the signs. We can no longer act like we don't see what we see. The second thing I think we can look at from the text is that we can learn that these Hebrew boys who encounter life all of a sudden in a different way, we can learn from them is that we need to get in a place where we can expect to be uncomfortable. Now, we like to be uncomfortable. When I got on my plane right here to come, I was careful. You know how you look at your seat? You want to make sure that you're proportionately seated next to someone so that you're comfortable. You sort of look at it. And when I was in the seat and the person ahead of me, he got up. He was really mad. He says the guy was too big. He was so rude. He said, the guy too big. I got to have a different seat. I felt really bad for the guy because the guy wasn't, it wasn't like heavy, but he was tall. He was, he was, you know, took up space. Because we like to be uncomfortable. We like to be comfortable. We don't want to be uncomfortable. But if you're going to do missions, if you're going to do what God wants you to do, if you're going to stand and not bow like you may have bowed before, you have to get used to being uncomfortable. You can't have things the way you want it all the time. My children want what they want all the time. 
And so the three Hebrew boys, they didn't ask to be in this position. Daniel in chapter 2 recommended that they be in this position. So they get in this position, and they are now they are ruling, or they're governors over this area, and now they, they are put in a position of conflict. They're uncomfortable. They have to stand for what's right, and they have no other choice but do what God say to do or die. But God delivers them. Are you ready to do missions even when it's uncomfortable? Or do you need to have everything just right to do what God says to do? Because if you need to have everything just right to do what God says to do, it's not going to work. Missions and feeling uncomfortable go hand in hand. Because God wants to stretch you. God wants to move you. God wants to be greater in you than you can be. If you can do it on your own, what do you need God for? If you got to figure it out, figure it out. What do you need God for? We need God. As a servant of the Most High God, it's never about you. But it's always about the kingdom of God. So how was your life reflecting the kingdom of God? We never hear about these Hebrew boys before the exile. It's only in the exile that we hear about them. We never hear them rising up and saying, oh, you know, you listen to the prophets. But it's when they get in an uncomfortable position we hear what God has put in them. Sometimes the best of you only comes out when you are uncomfortable, when you're confronted with trials and tribulations. Sometimes that's only birth in you when you are uncomfortable. You cannot do missions or be mission-minded and be comfortable. Sometimes the pillow won't feel comfortable. Sometimes the bed will be a little lumpy. Sometimes the fruit won't taste as fresh as it used to. But can you, will you still do what God says to do? The three Hebrew boys were put in that position because Daniel thought it was a great idea. It was Daniel's fault. They go into exile because of the sins that were going on. They get thrown in a position and they have to confront evil. They have to be uncomfortable, but they still stand. They do not bow. I think the third thing I would like to bring up is that we have to be more conscious that there is an enemy who is against us. You notice if you keep reading the text that they, were, they had to bow down with the sound of the music, right? Come. The astrologers, though, they see that these aren't bowing. And I was thinking, how do they see that some aren't bowing? Only one of two ways, someone tells them, or they themselves are looking up when they should be bowing. You know, people say, close your eyes, your eyes slightly open. Everybody bow your head, your head slightly lifted. And so the enemy was waiting, the astrologers were waiting, and they saw what was going on and they reported it. And I want to just remind you, don't think that when you go to do what God says to do, that the enemy's going to say, oh, yeah, come on in and just, you know, bring light to my darkness. Here you go. No, he will work against you. There are principalities in high places working against the plan of God through you. You must stand against the evil and recognize that there are evil forces that are crafting their way against you. But don't be afraid. Don't step back. Go forward in God. 
He did not die on the cross for you to sit back and bow to another God. We watch the passion of Christ and we cry. We're like, oh, it's such a moving movie. They crucified my Savior. Oh, my God. Easter come around, we feel holy. Christmas come around, we like, you know, we sing, oh, come, Emmanuel. We feel deep. But does that deepness transcend our life? Do we recognize that he has made you victorious? That he's given you and equipped you with what you need to stand in an evil world when no one has answers as to why the tragedies happen, that your relationship with God can show that I have an answer to the tragedy. There's Jesus Christ who brings life. There's an enemy. Don't be fooled. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. But in 1 Peter 5, 8, it tells us this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. When you refuse to bow down to the images and the things that are going on in this world, when you stand for God, that is you resisting. And God did not send you here for you to lack resistance, but you're at Trinity to strengthen your resistance against the works of evil. Strengthen your call, strengthen your anointing, strengthen your walk with God. So be aware that there's a council. There's some astrologers out there who don't want you to step forward. Make a new community. And if you got some friends who can't see God's vision for your life, who can't see God's mission through you, make a new friend. You don't even have to tell them that you're not friends anymore. You could just make new friends. You're like, oh, we're not hanging out. No, no, girl, I love you. Just make a new friend. It's okay. And the fourth thing I want to bring up is this, and it'll be my final point, is that we have to learn to live by faith and not by fear. The three Hebrew boys say this in verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is what the text says, replied to him. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, there's some discrepancy or some argument about how to interpret the text. Some scholars argue that it was, it, the text should be read as, if our God is able. And some scholars say, no, it should be re re read as, the God we serve is, serve is able. If you take uh, exegetical class in Daniel, they'll probably deal with that text a little bit more. But I think the context and the grammar, the syntax of the sentence, let us know that the Hebrew boys do have faith. And in the midst of this trial, they declare their faith in God. You see, many of us can declare our faith when many think when things are going wrong. But when all H-E-L-L -L is going on in your life, can you still declare that God is God? 
Can you still declare when friends don't like you, when you don't have money that you thought you were going to get, then the job doesn't work out, when your family is broken, can you still declare that God is God and able? Or do you have a moment where you waver? You know, the, the scripture says that God, he's perfect. He's not like a computer. He doesn't need an upgrade or iPhone. You don't need another iPhone with God. He's perfect. No, he doesn't need to get better. He is great. We, we got to get better. We need upgrades. We need to change. So we have to have a position where we believe God no matter what. Job said, though he slay me, yet I trust him. Abraham said, we're going to worship, but me, me and the boy, we're coming back. We, we're going, but we'll be back. We all will have a Job moment. We all will have a Job or Abraham moment where God will test you to see if you will stand and declare that he is God. The Hebrew boys not only declare their faith, but they declare it to those who oppose them. When confronted by the enemy, the three Hebrew boys declare that who God is before Nebuchadnezzar and his servants. So not just declaring who God is, but declare it to someone who opposes you. Can you do that? Can you declare the word of God to someone who does not believe in a respectful way? We have a lot of Christians that are living in the closet not sharing their testimony, or sharing it when it's convenient. Your testimony is not for you. When you do missions, that's not for you. It's to bring God glory. Is your life bringing God glory? Is he glorified by what is going on in your life at this very moment? Have you been standing? If you haven't, now stand. Don't bow. The scripture declares to us on today that the Hebrew boys are put in an awkward position. And we can learn from them on how to endure conflict. We can learn how to stand and not bow. Our culture is changing. Our world is changing. It's full of uncertainty. And one day the Hebrew boys went from prosperity to slavery. But they learned quickly. They confessed who God is publicly. They confessed to their enemy who God is. They deal with things that they never expected. They're uncomfortable. And one day, they have to go through all this. In the past, you may have bowed down to images. In the past, you may have given up. In the past, you may have said, I'm not going to fight. But on today, I would encourage you that this time around, when adversity strikes, when you're putting in a situation where you didn't ask to be in, that you stand for God and you not bow down to false images. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is our living example for our life. Forgive us for trusting in everything else but your word. Forgive us for listening to all sorts of other images rather than you. And help us on this day, Lord, to stay, take a stand for what is right and not to bow down no matter what the level of adversity we will stand recognizing that you, in the end, will go through the fire with us. So on this day, we pray that we will stand and not bow down. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that this message has challenged, encouraged, and inspired you as we continue learning and growing together in discipleship to Jesus. 
Every week, you'll find new chapel messages on our channel from local and international speakers ranging in diverse and engaging topics. So go ahead and subscribe for the latest of what's going on in chapel. Much love and happy listening.